What's up? It's Delaney, and I'd love to invite you to become an honorary co-host of the Self-Helpless Podcast. Do you want to pick episode topics and guests? Done. Want to surprise your loved ones with shout-outs on the show for a birthday, project launch, a much-needed divorce? Whatever you're up to, would love to be a part of the celebration. Get your favorite and least favorite quotes featured on the podcast, submit questions for our special guests, and find lots more new features and surprises at patreon.com slash selfhelpless. You'll also get added to our patron insider email list to easily redeem rewards via a quick email reply because we know hanging out on Patreon isn't everyone's thing. You can also opt out of emails if you prefer to be a silent supporter of the show. And don't worry, we do not Scrooge McDuck these contributions. 100% of proceeds go directly to operating expenses that make this weekly podcast possible and available to all. Learn more at patreon.com selfhelpless or simply click the link in this episode's description. Thank you for helping me fill the void of being the last standing host of the Self Helpless Podcast. Thank you so much. There's something magical about unboxing. When you unbox BritBox, you uncover a world of British entertainment. Stream the UK's most brilliant series, including new and upcoming seasons of Shetland, Father Brown and Death in Paradise. Plus new originals like Payback, Irving Welsh's Crime and Archie, the story of Hollywood's greatest leading man, Cary Grant. Unbox BritBox and escape to the best of British TV. Stream with a free trial at BritBox.com. I'm no good at taking good advice And I'm self-careless, so don't tell me twice That lately I've been so stuck in my head That I forget just about everything my therapist said Maybe I'm self-helpless Maybe I'm self-helpless Maybe I'm self-helpless Maybe we are all self-helpless Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Self-Helpless Podcast. I'm Kelsey Cook. I'm Delaney Fisher. And today we are doing an episode all about grief and we are joined by such an amazing guest. We have on Krista St. Germain. She is a master certified life coach, post-traumatic growth and grief expert, widow, mom, and host of the Widowed Mom podcast. Um, She's been featured all over Psychology Today, Medium, um, Thrive Global, and oh man, if if I sound uh, somber, it's because we just finished interviewing her, and um, uh, it's just, I think, one of the more powerful episodes we've ever done because she just, she was so vulnerable and willing to share what she's gone through and then um, just was incredibly helpful in in how we can all comfort ourselves through grief, um, maybe some of the misconceptions with the five stages of grief, mm-hmm. just so many things. I, you know, uh, shared some stuff about my mom. Yeah, she was so great. And I really liked her simple tips because I feel like I think the tips have to be simple when you are grieving because your energy and motivation is so zapped that you can really only focus on like one little thing at a time. And so I really enjoyed her simplification of things that you can kind of do or, um, you know, even the the method that she shared just with like two things to consider, two categories to consider was super helpful. And yeah, I got I got a lot a lot out of this episode and it's it's really it's interesting how yeah we all of us experience grief and we're all going to be experiencing at 
different types of grief throughout our entire lives. Yeah. Forever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so make sure that if you do resonate with the things we talk about today, check out her podcast, um, the, the widowed mom podcast. And, um, yeah, uh, before we get into the interview with Krista, just a heads up, I've got a couple more tour dates for this year and then so many more for next year. Oh my gosh. Um, I am going to be in Boston, December 1st and 2nd. I'm going to be in Tampa, December 7th through the 9th. And then um, I know I don't have it all listed in front of me right now, but it's like San Diego in January, Philly, um, New Jersey, Minneapolis. uh, I mean, just a ton of places, guys. So please go to KelseyCook.com and uh, get those tour date tickets. Yeah, awesome. And if you want to listen to my other podcast, Career Crush, you can find it at DelaneyFisher.com. It's a private show, but it's completely free. Uh, And you can just join the email list to, you know, have access to like uh, basically a free global community, free events, free resources, all kinds of stuff. And speaking of grief, you know, we talk a lot about grief on that podcast because there's so much grief with uh, transitioning careers or job loss or career loss or whatever it is, losing your identity and not knowing what to do next. Um, so yeah, this episode definitely kind of relates to that as well. Trying to find your place in the world where you can earn a living, but also do something meaningful and just, yeah, all of that. So would love to have you, uh, DelaneyFisher.com. Amazing. All right, guys, enjoy our episode, uh, our interview with Krista. Krista, thank you so much for being here today. We are thrilled to have you on to talk about this super important topic. Thank you so much. Like it is so important. And like I said, you know, before we started recording, I'm always just so thrilled when anyone wants to talk about grief. Which is not, not so something thrilled. you hear often. I know. <laughs> and to hear a lot. Not something I ever even imagined would come out of my own mouth. Yeah. I, I have but to we correct are. you. I believe you said that you were pumped to talk about grief. <laughs> I did. You're right. It's true. And I just love it. It's it's a lot of football energy and I didn't expect it with this topic, but it makes, and you know what it, I think it makes people who are going through grief feel less self-conscious about it. Like I'm already so excited to hear your perspective because yeah. Um, yeah. It's, I, I mean, I know we'll get into a lot of this, but anyway, why don't we start with your Favorite or least favorite quote, which you gave us a preview of before, and we're very excited to dive into it. Yeah, I literally want to vomit every time I hear it, but it, <laughs> and it's everywhere, right? My least favorite quote is "Time heals all wounds." Yes, yes, I hate that, that one too. And it, I've always hated that quote too. I'm so glad you feel that way. <laughs> I I may have found my people here. Yeah, it's welcome. Yeah, okay. can you can you expand yeah. why you hate it? I'm, well, first of all, I can tell you that I see the damage it does, you know, when, especially, so I work with widowed moms primarily and so many of them, like I did, we buy into this idea that all we have to do is let time pass. Mm-hmm. And, and then we suffer so much more because we don't learn how to support ourselves. We, you know, we, we just basically spend time avoiding and then simultaneously judging ourselves for it, which is probably a whole different thing. Uh, but I just find it's just, it's just not helpful advice. And it's so old. I've tried to find the origin of it. Uh, it just seems to go so far back and and we've bought into it. Hook, line, and sinker, not helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Qu- question about this quote, because 
like, are, do you feel like it's, it's not helpful because a time does not heal all wounds and the grief process is not linear. Like you're going to wake up in 20 years and not feel sad about certain things. Or do you also feel like it's what you do in that time that can help you process grief? Yeah. I mean, I think it's nuanced. So I do think we we're coming at it with this false understanding that grief ends in the first place. So our target is inaccurate yeah. for most of us, right? Because we have bought into the five stages. That is the only grief theory we know. And, you know, we're, we're kind of misusing it. We're not using it the way it was originally intended anyway. So we tend to think that, you know, acceptance is the fifth stage of grief. Therefore, when we get to acceptance, we're done, which is not at all how grief works, right? Grief never ends. Right. It's just the natural human response to loss. And we can't undo the loss. We're always going to have a response. So it might change over time and we might integrate the grief into our you know, experience. And we certainly don't have to be sad all the time, but that doesn't mean that grief ends. So I think that it's flawed from that aspect. And then if we are under the assumption that all we need to do is hold on, we don't develop healthy coping mechanisms. We don't learn how to, you know, feel our feelings. We just learn how to avoid things. I do think there is something powerful that is happening as time passes, right? Which is what the brain is doing in terms of it relearning the new, the new environment that we're in. So, you know, for me, you feel a little bit crazy if you don't know this. Like I remember times where I would pick up my phone and I would go to text my husband after he died. Like, I know it's not, I know I can't text him. Right. Mm -hmm. But you pick up your phone and you, it takes a minute before you remember, or I would hear the garage door open and I would briefly think, oh, he's home, you know? And then I would be like, you idiot. Like he's not home. You know, he's di he died, but there's that time uh, period. And it's different for everyone where our brain has not relearned the new reality. And it's not accurately predicting it's predicting based on what it knew. Um, which there's so much important to that, to that, especially when it comes to a relationship that is so significant. If we didn't have that ability to predict where our person was and when we would see them next, we would probably feel scared all the time. Right. So it's important that we have that, but it does take time for our brain to have enough exposures to the new reality so that it starts making accurate predictions. And if, and so if we don't know that aspect, it, it's pretty easy to feel like you've lost your mind. Yeah. Mm. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. I have, I have so many questions for you. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> let's go. Let's go. So, um, are you, oh, sorry, my dog's barking. We'll edit that out. I um, have, I have two podcast dogs. That's what I call them. 
That is a they great. Only, they only bark when we're recording podcasts. Oh, yes. You really have found your people. Yes. <laughs> we feel like we found you oh. too. Um, are you comfortable sharing um, if your husband's passing was sudden, if it was something you oh, knew yeah. was going to happen and, um, and maybe some more details yeah, around that? For sure. No, I definitely didn't know it was happening. So we had gone on a trip and we had driven separately and we were coming back from the trip and we we're almost home. And I had a flat tire and I pulled over on the side of the road and he pulled up behind me, hazard lights on. And I said, you know, let's call triple a. And he said, no, baby, let's not I'll, you know, it won't take me that long. I'll just change the tire. It'll be faster that way. And so I was standing on the side of the road, texting my daughter who at the time was 12 and I was just letting her know that we would be late because she was on the same, she was on the same trip we were on, but she rode the bus back and a driver as I'm standing there who we didn't know this at the time, obviously, but later found out had meth and alcohol in his system. It's five 30 daylight on a Sunday hazard lights on did not see us, did not break, just crashed right into the back of his car and trapped him in between his car and my car. And so I went from truly feeling like my life was perfect because this was my second marriage, first marriage down in flames. This was like the redemption story of like true love is possible. It can be good again. And that, you know, we'd only been married a few months and then just whoosh, just, you know, within a day, it just, it went downhill from there gone. So no, I was not prepared. And that's why I'm so passionate about what I do right now is because I came into my own grief experience buying into a lot of this time heals and not understanding grief and not knowing what to expect. And so if I can save people the suffering and teach them accurate, you know, tools and updated information about grief, then that makes me feel really good. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Seriously. I mean, I, where do you even fucking begin to go on yeah like what were your first steps like what what happened for you next um yeah I mean you know first of all it was just you just feel like or at least I did I felt like kind of a walking zombie but I really quickly went back to a therapist that had the therapist that helped me through the divorce right I still had her in my phone in fact my cousin had the same therapist I think she texted her I texted her like we were we were making that appointment happen rather quickly and in those early days it I just needed to just be in a space where I could talk about it because it didn't feel real. You know, there's just so much to process and so much to just get out. And I remember being particularly concerned about upsetting other people in my environment. I didn't want to be honest around my kids. You know, I felt like I needed to be strong for them. I didn't really have anybody that I felt like I could really talk to on, you know, completely freely except my therapist. And so that's what I did in the early days was just talk about it to her journal. I did a lot of journaling um, and I would write to him mostly Yeah, on my back porch with coffee. I feel like I don't, you know how sometimes when you go to say, I'm so sorry, it you almost stop yourself because you're like, that just is not even close to enough yeah. Yeah. in word form of what, um, what I wish I could express to you. Um, you are so amazing that you are like capable of, of helping others and like just being able to talk about this. I'm just, I'm so amazed by you. Thank you so much for coming on and just like being willing to talk about this. Yeah. Thank you. And, and listen, I, I do grief work for a living and it's still awkward for me to like, Mm -hmm. to know what to say 
So yeah, I, I so get that. Um, and also I, I, I get as much out of this as I give, right. This is, this feel, this work feels good to me. Yeah. Yeah. When did you start helping other people? Like how did it lead, lead there? And do you ever find that it's, it can be re-traumatizing or do you feel like it's always healing to do that work? I know everyone has a different experience of that. For me, it never feels re-traumatizing. It, re- it really, I mean, it, sometimes it, it might have bring, m- might bring up aspects that I want to give more thought to, but it never feels heavy to me. The way I got into it was, as I think often happens when you have a major loss, you kind of stop it and go, wait, why am I here on this planet? Like mm-hmm. if it can be taken that quickly, do I want to do what I'm doing? Mm. And the answer was no. Right. So he and I worked together and he was, he was an engineer. He was obsessed with airplanes, always had been right. I was not, um, it paid the bills and I I liked it. I didn't dislike it, but it was never something I felt really passionate about. And so I started talking about it with my therapist of like, what do I want to do with the rest of my life? I'm 40. Uh, This isn't, you know, this feels financially secure, but it doesn't feel really emotionally rewarding. And she was like, you should be a therapist. (laughs) Okay. But that kind of made sense to me, honestly, because I bet you're probably like this too, where people just come to you, no matter what environment you're in, you, you just, you know, people want to talk to you and, and that's how it was always for me. And so I really entertained that quite deeply for a while and became, she had it all planned. She was like, you can become a therapist. I'll help you get into an MFT program. Then uh, you can come and work for me. And then when I retire, you can buy my practice. And like she had it all planned out. Um, and and I kind of liked that idea until I was waiting for the MFT program to start. I had like one undergraduate credit that I needed, um, abnormal psych. I was taking that class and I was waiting the eight months before the program started. And I happened to enroll myself in a life coaching program. And it had nothing to do with grief. Um, it just happened to be this life coach that I'd been following and she launched a program and I decided to join. And what started happening as I watched her coached other people, even though I really wasn't even getting coached myself, the things I was learning just kind of light bulbs started going on and it just felt so tangible and practical and was moving the needle so much more than anything I had experienced before that I started getting interested in that. And then I decided, oh, actually, I think even though therapy seems safer, because I'm from Kansas, like, <laughs> you know, like, we, the, you know, nobody, know, nobody knew what life coaching was at that point in time. Um, and if anything, we we're very skeptical of it. So, but I decided, I think that's actually what I want to do. And at that time, I wasn't intending to do grief. I, I hadn't done enough of my own work. I just knew I didn't want to be in the same corporate job I was in and I want to do something more helpful. And so I enrolled in that program, started getting certified, got certified, and then eventually reached the place where it didn't make sense to do anything else, but work with widowed moms. Mm. Right. But that was, that was a journey. That wasn't an overnight epiphany. Yeah. Right. Do you find, um, that there are other people that reach out to you who are interested in your work that are not necessarily widowed moms, but are going through some other form of grief all the time, okay. all the time. In fact, I just got back from an event that I was at, you know, and, and I kept hearing people kept coming up to me and saying, I am not a widow, but I listened to your podcast and it has helped me so much. 
mm-hmm. for other, for other grief, you know, related experiences, yeah. because he, we all have grief. We all have it. We don't get off of this planet without having it. And we're also misinformed that even though, you know, I, I am kind of talking to a niched audience typically mm-hmm. it's, it's just so universally needed. Right. And, and yeah. so I think people find a lot of respite and comfort hearing me talk about it. Yeah. What do you agree with or disagree with when it comes to like the five stages of grief that we've all heard about like a million times? Would you well, change I, anything? Oh, a hundred percent. So yeah. I agree that the five stages was really valuable in the time that it was created. Right. I, I agree that, that the conversations that it sparked because nobody was really talking about it in the way that Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and David Kessler did really was necessary and valuable. But I also just think people don't understand the context that, you know, most people assume it's about grief and they don't understand that really that work was about hospice patients initially, mm-hmm. right? That was the study of people coming to terms with the terminal diagnosis. I'll deny and uh, then I'll get uh, angry and then I'll bargain I and then I right acceptance, denial, accept, all that. So um, then later that work was, was then applied to on grief and grieving. So it was on death and dying first and then on grief and grieving. And even Elizabeth Kubler-Ross later in her life, and especially on her deathbed, deeply regretted how people took her work and made it this linear staged thing. I mean, she was basically trying to say, hey, here's what it can look like. And then everybody else saw that and went, oh, here's what it should look like. Yeah. People took it like a recipe card. Like you do this and then you do this and you do this. And it was like a formula. And and so then people use it against themselves instead of saying, you know, grief is, is as unique as your fingerprint and you can't do it wrong. Right. And it doesn't end. We went with, I don't know. Am I angry enough? Have I, you know, have I, is this denial? Like, am I at acceptance? And and Mm. we just, and so it's literally like fingernails on a chalkboard for me. Sometimes I was listening to, uh, a reporter not so long ago, but it was in, when the fires happened in Lahaina mm-hmm. in Maui and he was on the ground and he said something like, well, I'm on the ground and I'm, I'm seeing the five stages of grief everywhere. And I just like, <laughs> <laughs> it. To, yeah, yeah. Stop perpetuating this it is yeah. it's, it is one way of thinking of grief, but it is not representative. And there are so many other ways of, you know, thinking about grief that have happened since you know, I was like, I'm 47. I think I was four when yeah. the five stages was created. It's been a few decades. Right. Yeah. What are some of the ones that you feel like could give more value to people? My favorite is, well, I, I shouldn't say favorite. The, the one I find to be particularly useful for people is the dual process model of, mm-hmm. of grief, which is essentially the idea that you can take all activities after a loss and divide them up into two buckets. So you can take, so some activities are going to be loss oriented, meaning thinking about the loss, relating to the loss, feeling the feelings of the loss, dealing with the loss, like loss related, that's one bucket. And then the other bucket is restoration. Mm-hmm. So things that are not related to the loss, which means taking a break from the loss, you know, doing anything but the loss. It doesn't mean living life, life as though the loss didn't happen because that's not possible, but it means laughing. It means Netflix binges. It means, you know, living your life. And so often people come to me so worried about doing grief, right. Or thinking that there's a way to do it wrong. And they're very focused 
on the loss related activities. And then when they notice themselves drifting into the, the restorative activities, which of course they aren't labeling as that, but then they tend to judge themselves and tell themselves that like, Oh, I'm, I, I shouldn't be avoiding this, or it's not okay for me to laugh or, you know, but yeah. really what the dual process model says is that it's, it's the intentional oscillation mm. back and forth, right? We think about our loss, we deal with it and then we take a break from it. Yeah. And we go back and forth and that's, that's the goodness, right? So let's schedule the Netflix binges. Let's not give ourselves a hard time about that. Let's put time in our calendar where we give ourselves permission to laugh and yeah. think about other things and find hobbies and connections and things that are unrelated. Yeah. I find that one to be mm -hmm. particularly useful. Man, yeah. I, I can't tell you how helpful this is from everything you're saying as um, kind of what I was maybe hoping to get out of my, one of my recent therapy sessions, because I, um, my mom was diagnosed with a really progressive form of dementia um, mm -hmm. almost three years ago. And they initially said that she had six weeks to live. And now it's been much longer. And, um, mm. I, <clears throat> I have had such a hard time just psychologically trying to figure out how to process something like this because, mm -hmm. um, my mom is like my whole world. I've been so close with her my whole life. And it is so traumatizing to watch the person you love so much, um, be passing away over time where like, I like I lost m my version of my mom th mm -hmm. almost three years ago, but there is still like I technically can still call the nursing home and talk to her, but it's like not yeah. it's not her. It's like a very different type of conversation. And um, yeah, there are days where like that's why I was asking you like I'm I'm so amazed at your strength because there are so many days where I'm like, I don't know how I'm not in. Uh, an insane asylum yet because some days mm -hmm. it just feels like too much to handle. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I can only imagine how, um, you know, there's so many different types of grief too. I think like we tend to think of just grief as, as like you're either in it or you're not, yeah. but I think it's helpful when you think about grief, grief has different flavors almost. Right. So there's like the anticipatory grief of, you know, knowing that she's going to die. Yeah. Right. And anticipating that. And then there's like the ambiguous grief of like all the elements of it that are happening right now, even though the loss hasn't happened. Yeah. Right. And it's like, and then there's like all this, if, I'm, I'm only imagining, so I, I don't want to speak for you, but I'm imagining, you know, what I experienced as secondary losses after my husband died. Mm -hmm. Right. So the primary loss was his death. And then any loss in the future related to his death is all the secondary losses. Like you're probably experiencing, you'll, you'll still have secondary losses after she dies, but yet you're already having all of these secondary losses and she hasn't died. Like yeah, it's, there's so much. It's so much. Like yeah, there so feels like there's not enough time in the world to mm -hmm. process it and not enough energy in the world to process it. So I think mm -hmm. what you just said, remind me the name of it. Do dual, Dual process model. Dual process, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, strobe and shoot. Okay. That is really 
helpful for me to know because I have had a hard time trying to organize it, <laughs> like trying to yeah. feel these feelings on a daily basis, but do my job and mm-hmm. maintain my relationships and take care of myself. Sorry. <laughs> didn't, yeah. wear, didn't wear makeup this episode because yeah. I figured. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, it's just, um, it's so hard. And there is a lot of guilt in doing uh, restorative things, yeah. but you have yeah. to. You have to. Yeah. And if you can just keep, when your brain jumps up and tries to judge you and make you feel guilty about it to remind yourself, okay, no, this is actually, this is taking care of myself. Like I have to do this. Yeah. And that's what my mom would want. I have to tell myself that a lot too, Mm -hmm. which is hard to um, really have sink in. But I know she, I know she wouldn't want me to like make myself sick, which is, it's just hard. It's, Mm -hmm. it's, Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Sorry, Del. I feel like you had. A oh no, question. no, no. Thanks for sharing. I was going to say if if you're able to kind of expand on the relationship between like the guilt aspect of it between like you know the dual process system. Like I I'd imagine yeah. There when that guilt comes up, like why does it come up, and how do how can you kind of help people um, deal with it? Like what do you mm-hmm. share with your clients to tell themselves to to be able yeah. to take care of themselves and have like fun again and laugh again. Yeah. I usually try when guilt comes up, I usually try to help them find the sentence in their mind that's causing it. Mm. Right. So what is the sentence? So it, you, it very often has the word should in it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or there's going to be some judgmental aspect of it. So this must mean I'm not a good daughter. You know, this must mean I didn't love them enough or I'm not committed enough or, um, you know, something along those lines, or it will have a should in it. Like I should have tried harder or I should be trying harder. Right. Or I should be stronger or I'm, you know, some sort of, um, we can, we can isolate it. We can find it. And then once we find it, we can question it. Mm. Right. Because just because a thought shows up doesn't mean we need to keep believing it. We can question it. And sometimes what I find after the fact, like after a loss, we're still feeling guilty. Sometimes it can be a way that we don't even know we're trying to protect ourselves from feeling something that's even less desirable than guilt, which would typically be like powerlessness or sadness, right? So if you, if, if you use an emotional scale where you'll see these, sometimes you can Google emotional scale, you'll find one where they've lined up emotions with in order of desirability for humans and also vibration. So the lowest ones will be like powerlessness and despair and then guilt and anger are actually higher. Right. And then you go all the way up to the top and then you find like joy, ecstasy, but there's this full range. Mm. And so sometimes we'll get, will get stuck in thought loops or, or ways of, um, you know, generating guilt, generating anger, generating blame, similar families like cousins. And as long as we stay there, what we don't have to feel is deep sadness or powerlessness or despair. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 So we can, we can understand why we would want to do that. Yeah. That actually was, almost exactly another thing I talked about in therapy recently was that I I have had a lot of anger coming up lately about Mm -hmm. my mom having dementia and 
uh, my therapist was talking about that that can be used as this kind of protective barrier Mm -hmm. between you and the sadness because when I let myself fully feel that sadness it feels bottomless and that's Mm -hmm. really terrifying where you feel like uh, like you'll never stop crying yeah Mm -hmm. and I think that is so much scarier than just feeling angry feeling angry Mm -hmm. has a little bit more power to it Mm -hmm. but yeah that's um, what that's where that that this you know the expression mad is the guardian of sad Mm. Oh, I hadn't heard that before. Comes from, right? Yeah. And I also think for some people, depending on, you know, the paradigm through which they they see the world can be really, um, you know, it can make you feel like gravity is gone. Where you you thought, a lot of us thought, good things happen to good people. Yeah. And then we're like, but wait a minute. Right. And if if I have someone or something to blame, then I I can hold on to that familiar way of seeing the world. If I don't, what does that mean for me now? That familiar way of seeing the world, I have to let it go and I have to find a new way. That's scary, too. Oh, that's so interesting. That's so interesting. Krista, how has your grieving changed? Like how many years ago was your loss and like what looks different? What looks the same? If you're able to share. Yeah. So it was August 1st of 2016. So it's been about seven years, a little over seven years. It's changed in that. I mean, obviously it's way less emotionally intense, you know, in the beginning for most people in acute grief, it does not feel predictable. You just feel like you're on a roller coaster at one moment, you're numb. The next moment you can't get out of bed. Like it's, you know, not universal, of course, but wild swings and your whole body is impacted. Your hormones are going nuts, right? You're not sleeping as well, which has been messing with your hormones. Your brain is actively trying to find them. So you're feeling yearning. You're having counterfactual thinking of, you know, woulda, coulda, shoulda thoughts. And like you're, we we call it grief fog or widow fog, but your prefrontal cortex, it it already already has a very limited bandwidth anyway, right? The highest part of our our brain that makes decisions. And it is way taxed because of all of the chaos that's happening in our system. So we're not even remembering things that we would otherwise normally remember. Like you go to the grocery store and you buy toilet paper again, and you already have a mountain of it at home, right? You forget your kids at daycare. Like those are the kinds of things that happen in grief. So for me in the, the early days, it was like that where it was like some days I was a a walking functioning zombie. And then other days I was in a complete puddle and it's just a weird, crazy ride in the beginning. And then it kind of got to the place where it it started to level out a little bit in that I felt like I was back to functioning and I went back to work and I could do work again. And then that's when people start saying things like, oh, you're, you're so strong and you're doing so great. And you kind of understand why they're saying that because from the outside, you do look like you're doing pretty good because the kids are getting where they need to be and you're showered and, you know, like you look like you're functioning, but on the inside, you don't feel good. You feel empty and hollow and robotic in your, like what was happening in the back of my head was, Okay. Like we can do this for the kids. We're probably never going to be happy again, really happy again. Like we've had our shot. We're just going to have to get used to this new normal and just be grateful for what we had. Those were the thoughts I had in that place. I call that now, I didn't have a term for it then, but I've seen it so many times. I call it a grief plateau where it's like we're out of acute grief 
not that I want to give the impression that it's linear. I really, really don't, but it's just this like mediocre place. Mm. That's where I, it really breaks my heart when I see people assume that that's, that's all that is available to them, right? They go, oh, well, I've heard of the new normal. So this must be it. And then they stop there and just, cut. but, but with this resignation of like the loss happened and therefore, and they listen to the stories that used to be in my mind, which is you should just be happy for what you had. It's probably never going to be as good as it once was. You're probably never going to find anybody that will love you like that. Right. Um, whereas now I feel like I, I am in that place where I have thoughtfully aligned my life with what I value, which is post-traumatic growth, right? Which is not to say I'm grateful that he died. I am definitely not. I don't ever want to be grateful that he died. I don't want to be happy that he died. Right. But I've also, I don't argue with it anymore. I've decided who I want to be given that it happened. I've made choices accordingly. Right. I've, I've taken what I wanted to take from, from that part of my life. And I keep applying it to, to, you know, for instance, I don't work in the place that I didn't really love. You know, I do something that is what I want to do. I, I don't stay in relationships that don't feel good to me. You know, I'm more authentic in the way that I show up in the world and what I want to do. I feel, I feel less afraid of what other people might think of me than I probably ever have in my whole life. So it feels to me like I've integrated that experience and I still get sad by the way, sometimes things will happen. Like, uh, my stepmother was in the hospital a couple of weeks ago and having some surgery and I have still not been back to that hospital where we, you know, where ultimately he died. And I was like, okay, we're going to have a grief grenade. This is like, you know, this is, we're going to have to deal with this now. We haven't had to deal with this yet. So there are still things, you know, that catch me off guard, um, surprise me times that I'm sad. I'm just much better at supporting myself through those times. Now I feel like I have the tools that I didn't have in the early days. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give. But what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Has there ever been any instinct in you since losing your husband of feeling afraid to love um, not, not just new people in your life, but like 
the people that you currently love, your mm. kids, your family members, is there um, like a heightened fear of losing them? Because that's something I have felt since my mom being diagnosed. It's like, oh my God, I can't go through this again. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't say there was a heightened fear of loving them, but definitely of losing them. Yeah. Um, and for sure of getting in new relationships too. And I think it's really common mm-hmm. and also so fascinating because when you really stop and think about it, the emotions that we experience in grief, there might be different flavors or versions of them in a, in a new grief experience, but really it's like our brain doesn't, our brain is so focused on protecting us from potential danger. It doesn't give us credit for the danger we already got through. Yeah. Right. We're like, that could be so bad. Forget about the fact that you already handled something almost exactly like it. Right. Yeah. You know, but that's, I mean, I think that's negativity bias at work is protect, 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 keep your, keep yourself from danger. And so that's what I, what I see happen a lot of times too. I call it the stagnation zone. Remember I was talking about that scale. If you line up all the emotions Mm -hmm. from kind of bottom to top, what I find is that a lot of us then after an intense emotional experience like that is we start our band of comfort starts to shrink, right? So we, we want to avoid the negative quote unquote negative emotion. So we stop taking new risks. Like we stop putting ourselves out there. Um, we, we are successfully able to avoid through inaction or different action, some of those intense emotions. But then what also happens because we aren't really, and this can even happen in an existing relationship, right? If you're terrified of losing it, then as you're in it, you're not really in it. Yeah. Right. So yes, you're, you, you are maybe avoiding some of the negative, but then also you're avoiding the good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And so you end up with that stagnation stuff in the middle, which is not awful, but it's not great. It's just like mediocre. Yeah. Were there any self-care things you did during your, um, I guess, both that acute time and more that plateau time that helped you with your hormones, that helped you just to like get to a more balanced place in your body? Mm -hmm. I don't think I knew anything about what was going on with me hormonally at the time. Mm-hmm. I just didn't have the awareness. So if I did anything, it wasn't conscious or intentional, mm-hmm. but some of the things that I later look, look back at and think did help me, um, for sure. I gave myself for, for me, this really helped a lot of time on my back porch for mm-hmm. me, my, my back porch in the old house that I used to live in, um, I would go out there barefoot. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think I didn't really understand it now then, but I think I was kind of grounding yeah. at the time. And I was in nature because there was nothing behind me. It was mm-hmm. kind of a unique little piece of property. Um, and just to be in a space where I could look at flowers and watch birds and breathe yeah. um, and not have a kid asking for something or, you know, a demand being placed on me and giving myself that gift of time. And then I would go back and I would write a lot to him. And that, that was really, really helpful to me. Um, I got a weighted blanket yeah. I think that helped we me. Love, we love weighted blankets on this. Yeah. Podcast. And that was like in the early days of weighted blankets. I've got one that was like pretty much too heavy. Um, <laughs> yeah. I slept with a, a big stuffed animal 
Mm-hmm. Um, I would p- like put pillows all around myself. Um, and those are the things I consciously did, mm-hmm. you know, and I didn't force myself to do things that I didn't feel ready for, even though I really, I really was concerned about what other people would think. You know, when I went back to work, it, it was because I wanted to go back. It wasn't because yeah. I felt like I should, I had to really slow myself down. Yeah. But you know, the basics, honestly, water, trying to sleep, decent nutrition, those things, they're so valuable. Yeah. 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 How how do you feel about being in a romantic relationship in the future or at some point, or maybe you are now, I don't know. Like, yeah. do you feel like that person would have to understand what I've been through and kind of been through it themselves? Are you just terrified? Like, what's the point? Where do you stand on that? Yeah. So I am in one and I waited for about three and a half years or so before I started dating. And by the time I started dating, I just decided I had gotten myself to a place where I realized that I was responsible for my satisfaction with life. It was an inside thing. Like I truly genuinely believed uh, there was no hole I needed to fill. There was no missing piece, right? Like I was not needing to be in a relationship. I felt really good in my life and a relationship felt like fun. It felt interesting. It felt like a, a bonus. Mm-hmm. which is not often where I see us getting into relationships after spousal loss, but, but I did get myself there. And that's what, why I think it's been such an easier experience for me. Um, because I did, you know, when I started dating, I connected with somebody pretty instantly and we've been together since, and we live together now. He's not a widower. He he's, he's divorced. So he understands what it's like to, uh, have to go through all of that, but no, he doesn't really understand grief in terms of spousal loss. Um, his sister did die by suicide. Um, and so he's, he's been through a significant loss, but what was important for me is not that somebody had had a similar life experience, but that they understood that, you know, grief is always going to be a part of my life. I did not choose to leave Hugo, right? It happened and I never wanted it to happen. And so he is still in my heart. There will always be a very important space there. And I will always tell stories about him. Mm -hmm. I will keep his memory alive, you know, and if I I just decided I'm not going to date somebody who's not okay with that, right? Mm -hmm. If they don't, if they aren't confident enough in themselves to let me have my own emotional experience and not make it mean anything about them, then they just aren't the person for me. And I think I just happened to find that pretty early. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, also, I had a podcast by the time I started dating. So you like listen to my podcast, <laughs> which I highly recommend because then the, you don't really have to explain all of that stuff. It's just right out right. there. Yeah. You know? And he kind of already knew like my backstory and what I do for a living. And yeah, yeah. Like, he, he was, he kind of was already on board. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How long did it take you to find a community? where you found other people that experienced something like that. Can I be honest? I didn't find one. I, I I created one. Wow. Honestly, that's what happened. I, I searched online and everything I found was just, I couldn't relate. They were either older than me to, to a point where I, I couldn't, I just didn't feel like I belonged or they didn't seem to want to 
live life again. You know, there's just a lot of like, ain't it awful. And that's one of the reasons that I ultimately ended up deciding to do the work that I do is because I had such a hard time finding that. I think the first time I really felt that sense of community wasn't actually with widows. It was with other life coaches who kind of saw the world like I did. Yeah. And then, you know, since then, that's one of my favorite things about the coaching program that I have is that that's what I feel like we have created. And I, I'm so glad they have it. I wish I had, Yeah, you know, earlier, but I'm so glad that they have it. That's amazing. And I, I get to be in there. Mm-hmm. So I'd imagine a lot of people like kind of what you said earlier, people come to you for all kinds of different grief. Mm-hmm. What have you found like the grief that somebody experiences maybe through a divorce or maybe like a betrayal trauma or something where the person is still alive, but it's like the mm-hmm. death of a relationship or the idea of somebody. Could you ex- just share anything about that kind of grief or what can help with that? Yeah. Well, let me, let me tell you what I think doesn't help, which is, uh, comparing in a despairing way. I think comparison can be helpful if we use it for ourselves. So if we're like, okay, she's had a really hard loss and, and she's figured out how to support herself. So maybe I can too, like we use it to help ourselves. Mm -hmm. But what I find a lot of times is, um, you know, people use it to isolate, not, not on purpose, but you know, nobody understands because like, you know, this, this grief is so different. Therefore I'm alone, which is not helpful. Um, and, and it's just so nuanced and so unique, right? The thing, what I said about it being like a fingerprint, it, it really is that way. So you might not even label it as grief and yet it is grief, right? Anytime. So we have something that we expected it to go one way and it didn't go that way, but we wanted it to, right? And that's grief. So that can be a, a betrayal in a relationship you're still in. Mm-hmm. That can be, you lost a bunch of weight and thought you were going to love your body. And now you realize you don't. That's grief, right? I, I have a good coach friend who she told me that she cried for two weeks straight after she made a million dollars as a coach because she realized, oh, I'm still human. I, I'm still, this is still my life. Like this did not solve all my problems, right? But she had so convinced herself that success in her business would somehow mean less pain in her life. And it didn't. Yeah. Right. Um, I have a friend who um coaches on, well, she's all kinds of coaching, but specifically traumatic stuff. And her husband had a an addiction to porn. And, you know, that that felt like a a betrayal in going through it, right? So there's mm-hmm. just so many different types of grief experiences that we can have. And I think if we can yeah. just meet ourselves where we are without trying to make our grief harder than someone else's or easier than someone else's and just acknowledge, Hey, this is what it's like for me right now. And how do I support myself? So much more helpful. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's hard to find that balance between like, nobody understands and I feel alone in it. But also like you mentioned when you were trying to connect with people initially and felt like you Mm -hmm. weren't finding your community that that is also a mm-hmm. feeling that can be frustrating. It's, it is tough to find that middle ground. Yeah. I do think the internet has, I mean, that was seven years ago. So yeah. I do think that 
you know, if you just decide I'm not going to quit until I find, I find or create my community, I do think you will find it. Yeah. Um, I, I don't, sometimes I wonder was the filter, how much of my inability to find that community was because I had decided it wasn't out there, mm. you know? Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Can't really go back and actually figure that out. But I do think the filtering system in our brain is super powerful and it does show us what we are looking for, whether it's a conscious choice to look for it or not. So yeah. I will find my people or I will create my community is probably a, a more powerful way to look at it. If I could go back in time. 100%. Yeah. I'm definitely applying that to my life for sure right now. The first two years of my mom having uh, dementia, I think I had been subconsciously telling myself that I did not want to find some sort of support group because Mm. I didn't want to think about it more than I already was. I thought Mm. that it it would actually be harder Mm -hmm. and more draining. And then um, in the past month or two it's the first time I've started to really like actively look for them Mm -hmm. and um I'm doing my first meeting with one next week and so I'm Mm -hmm. interested to see and I'm just going to try and keep an open mind but um you mentioned that you felt like a lot of people were older than you who were going through Mm -hmm. it and um that has been my experience so far is that a lot of people who lose a parent to dementia it's like it's a much older person Mm -hmm. um and she just happens to have a a kind that tends to hit people much younger um Mm -hmm. so she's 70 but um I'm kind of in a place where I feel like even if it's not like the perfect like whatever I could think of in my mind is like the perfect community I feel Mm -hmm. like it will be better than what I've been doing which is to not really Mm -hmm. get to connect with anybody about it yeah Yeah. And I hope you'll give yourself a chance to take breaks from that too, right? Like decide as you go, what feels good to me right now and let that answer ebb and flow over time. Mm. Because at some point it might feel like you just really need a break and that being constantly exposed to it is actually not helping you. Yeah. And then you Um, can pause. Yeah. Is there, is there anything that you find to be helpful when it comes to like indecision or decision fatigue when you're in like the fog of grief. Like I, I, there's, there's some things I'm going through where I wish I could disclose, but I, I feel like Mm -hmm. I'm in a grief period where I'm like just numb to everything. And just, Mm -hmm. I don't, I seem to not give a shit about anything right now. (laughs) And it's making it hard to make decisions or get clear on what I actually want in my life in a lot of facets. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh my God, how am I, am I going to be in like this weird fog where I feel like I'm having a hard time even knowing what I want to do? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I do think it's a common issue. And, and the most common advice that I hear, which kind of I don't like very much a lot actually, <laughs> is don't make any de- big decisions in the first year. But also I get why people say that. So I kind of, I think if you can... If you can pull back and ask yourself, like, would it be more useful to give myself some space to not make this decision right now? And the answer feels like, yes, then that's okay. Sometimes though, there are decisions that have deadlines or decisions that we want to make. And the last thing we need is to tell ourselves that because of grief fog or because of grief that we can't make those decisions. 
right? That we're incapable or somehow diminished. I don't think that's helpful either. So in that case, I think a couple of things can help. One is, can you, if it feels good to you, consider like a little board of directors, right? Like who is like your squad of people who love you, know you, care about your best interests. You, they have never steered you wrong. You, you believe that they, you know, have your best interests in mind. Can you ask those people to be your, your sounding board, right? Like a little decision-making group. I think that can be super helpful. And then the other thing that I think can be helpful is, is trying to figure out it, am I struggling to make this decision because I don't have the information that I need? Sometimes it's a lack of information. I need more information. Sometimes we actually do have the information, but we keep telling ourselves that we need more information, but we actually do have the information. We just don't have confidence, right? We, we don't have the belief required. So is it like an information problem? And maybe it could be a skill problem too. Maybe, um, you know, you have the information, but like if it's a financial decision and it's about investments and you don't have, you know, a lot of skill as it relates to investing, maybe it's a skill thing and you, you need to reach out to somebody who has the skills that you don't have, even if you have all the information, but it's not one of those two things, then it's probably potentially a belief problem. Like, do I believe I'm capable of making this decision? You know, do I believe I'm capable of handling whatever implications might happen because I make this decision? And if you can isolate in, in, into one of those areas, I think it becomes less nebulous and a little more tangible, right? And then we can solve for that part of it. I can solve for information. I can solve for skill or I can solve for belief. Makes a lot of sense. I think I'm in needing more information mode currently. <laughs> yeah. I think that's yeah. I think yeah. that's what it is. And it feels like I'm in this weird limbo of like, I don't know. I don't know what's mm-hmm. what I'm usually mm-hmm. so I'm such a type A person. I'm usually mm-hmm. very much know what my life is gonna look like in the next three months, six months, whatever. You know, mm-hmm. I'm a planner and and right now I'm finding it hard to plan until I have more information, which will probably take, you know, six to 12 months, I'd imagine. So it's like a weird. And then some people points at self, um, can get, (laughs) have been known to get, to hide behind either. I need more information, Mm -hmm. right? Like, so some people might, they might be telling themselves they need more information, but when they actually look at the information they have, they realize, oh, actually, this is just the part where I'm I, I'm scared. This is the part where I don't believe I can handle it, or don't you know? And so it's it can like our brain can trick us into thinking that it's an information problem. Doesn't sound like that's the case with you, but I just say that as a cautionary. Oh, tale it could because, be <laughs> because I've done it so many times. I'm I'm pretty yeah. honest myself about it. Oh, that's so interesting. That makes a lot of sense too. Mm-hmm. Um. I have one more question for you. Yeah. Did you, either when you were in your acute time or even now, find yourself feeling self-conscious and talking about your feelings or your experience with people around you because you were worried you were being like a bummer or a burden? And um, how did you navigate that? Yes. So that is definitely why I think I found so much respite in the therapist's office because I didn't believe she was judging me and I didn't believe I had to impress her. But mm-hmm. I will tell you so many of the the problems that people bring to me as someone who works in grief are related to and built on the idea that feelings are problems, mm-hmm. right? We live in a culture that says you, you should be happy. 
And if you're not happy, you're doing it wrong. Right. And so that's why we get so uncomfortable around people who are in grief. That's why we say all the minimizing things that we say, oh, they're in a better place. And at least they're no longer suffering and you're young and you'll find someone else. And, you know, don't worry. It'll, it, yeah. it, God has a plan. That's why we say these things is because we don't know how to be okay when other people aren't. Yeah. And then from the other perspective, right? Like what you're talking about is the same thing. We, we're so worried they won't be okay and that they have no capacity to be with us as we are. We try to be chameleons so that they aren't uncomfortable. Yeah. And so then we answer with fine. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. I'm okay. Or I'm we okay. soften it a little. Yeah. Yeah. I'm okay. Given the circumstances like, and so if we could just switch from people who are having feelings are, are broken and need to be fixed to people who are having feelings just want to be witnessed, right? They just want us to be there. Then it would get easier to be with people who are in grief. And then those of us who are in grief, it would be easier to be with others. Yeah. That's, mm. we'll so get there. Well put. Yeah. We will. It's that, that's why conversations like this really matter. Yeah. Oh my and, gosh. This has yeah. been so good. Yeah. This episode is like <laughs> therapeutic. <laughs> yeah. I feel like every way I want to describe this episode is not enough in words, but I feel like it is so invaluable for um, our listeners and really anybody. Yeah. So, um, so glad. Can't, yeah. Cannot thank you enough for <laughs> talking to our listeners and for talking to me personally. Cause Aww. I mean, obviously <laughs> uh, need it. My pleasure. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Krista. What would you like to leave people with? And then where can people find you, your work, your podcast, all that good stuff? Yeah. So come listen to the widowed mom podcast. Even if you're not a widow, if you just want to learn about grief and you want to learn about how to help people who are grieving or how to be prepared for a loss, I just invite you to come and listen. Um, there are some episodes specific to like, you know, one's called for those who love us. So if you have someone who is struggling and you want to be of better support, go check out that episode. Mm. Um, there's a very early one called the myths of grief that might be really powerful. You know, just come listen and you can find me at coaching with Krista, K R I S T A.com. And all my, all my socials are all there as well. Incredible. Thank you Thank for you. sharing Thank your story me. and for all of yeah. your help and wisdom. Yeah. yeah thanks for having me yes. on truly. Yeah. Thanks. Oh boy. <laughs> I need I need a very long nap after that one just that... to process and rest. Yeah, that uh that was a heavy one. And yeah. Man. She she is so strong. It's like you hear stories like that and you just are like, how how does this person like how do they do it? And they right. do. And it's the most inspiring thing in the world. Yeah. Yeah. How, how you go on after a big loss is like, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, pretty powerful. Yeah. And, um, man, I, I really wish I could talk more about, uh, certain things that I've been going through and realizations I've had, but you know, just, this is just, I don't know. Grief for me right now looks like, like what she was saying. Like, I look like I'm fine. You know, if you look mm -hmm. at me you're like, Oh, you look like you're doing okay. But I am so all over the place inside, sad, depressed, confused. 
and um, they agree. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Oh, Guys, no, it's, it's fine. It's, it's been fine. a dog heavy podcast today. It is. We just, it is. We cannot keep our dogs. Right. Come here. This is real life, though. I'm like, um, <laughs> no, I feel like uh, sometimes with a, a grief or loss or something, it like brings up all of your past griefs and losses. Like for me, I feel like. Um, I don't know if well, they call it complex trauma or something. It's yeah. like complex something. PTSD. Yeah. Like something I'm going through. It's like, it's like, uh, it's bringing up a lot of stuff from childhood and a lot of things where things were not as they seemed, or there was betrayal going on, or there was, you know, something going on behind the scenes, you know? Right. Um, and yeah, it's, it's really weird when it's like, not, it doesn't feel like an isolated incident in your life it feels like a a pattern of things that you've experienced and then you really feel like what's the fucking point if this stuff is just going to kind of keep happening to me in some way where you know what's the point of trying to make a really great life for yourself because I can't trust myself to make the right decisions or I can't trust that things are going to be good you know and that's just in my head what's going on it doesn't mean that it's like the reality of the situation but um yeah it's really weird how it can just feel different and look different for everybody depending on what's going on yeah I think the things you're going through I I hope you know that you will get to a place again where you feel like you can trust yourself again it just feels probably hard to see that right now but I, I know you will yeah Thank you. Yeah. And how are you how are you feeling at this moment? So much of what you said I relate to and what she said I relate to where it's like from the outside I think I look really functional and you know even on like Instagram it looks like things are going really well and like I look really happy and honestly there are a lot of times throughout the day that I feel really happy but the grief I feel with my mom is so pervasive and strong that it's like all the things she was talking about that are restorative activities it's it's so unfortunate that even when I'm doing a restorative activity and feeling genuine happiness there is a piece of me that is feeling guilt to feel happy for any moment of time while my mom is going through this disease um so it's man it's the hardest. It's, it is nonstop. I feel, I will say I feel so fucking burnt out of grieving. I'm so tired of feeling sad and there is like really no cure for that. Unfortunately, like I, I can't love my mom less. I just, I love her the huge amount that I do. So like what is happening to her and, um, and then what's happening to me because of it, it's like that doesn't, I can't make that be less of a big deal. Right. It just, it just is. So, right. um, yeah, I, I'm just tired. It's been, it's been a, a long, a really long thing. Um, yeah. And I'm, yeah. But yeah. Um, so that's kind of, I mean, you guys heard on the podcast, I'm, I'm struggling a lot of the time, but um I feel I I wanted to also take this time I know I've said thank you before on the podcast of for when people have written in 
to say that they are going through or have gone through um, a family member having dementia. And I, I got a couple more recently from you guys. And I just want you to know it, it, it is the greatest feeling of connection and community when a lot of the time I don't feel like I have it. And I just, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to share your experiences with me and your feelings. And um, just please know that it means the world to me. So thank you. Yeah. Oh, that's really nice that people are doing that. Yeah. Um, any uh, uh, plug segment stuff going on? Yeah. So again, it's like this life is so weird. You can have amazing things happening and also right. the worst things happening. So um, over the weekend, um, it's technically September right now when we're recording. So this will come out much later. But um, I broke the record for ticket sales at the Comedy Fort in Fort Collins, Colorado. And it- <laughs> that's you. awesome. Thank you. And my special, The Hustler, hit 2 million views. So it that's was like awesome. a, really, a really cool week in terms of um, just like career accomplishment stuff. Um, but I will say not to, not to constantly be saying sad things, <laughs> but I will say that as I was having these cool accomplishments this past week, I also, you have like a lot of sadness come up with it because you're like, I wish I could tell my mom mm-hmm. and have her be excited and have her understand what I'm saying. Right. But, you know, I, I did tell her on the phone, but it was like she wasn't really responsive to it. I don't know that she fully understood what I was saying, um, but I really miss that because my mom used to be like, my biggest cheerleader. And so it's just she it's just it's left such a massive hole in my life. But she's also still alive. It is the most it's like the most psychologically fucked up thing like you it's your brain does not your brain is not prepared or programmed to know how to deal with that and um yeah it's it's a lot Uh, hanging on just trying to not lose my fucking mind every day right right um yeah yeah. do you have a second um I had one of my best friends visit me uh, last weekend for a long weekend, and it was very nice uh, to see her. And um, we, yeah, we did some nice dinners. We walked around. We um, went to the Magic Castle as oh, well. Yeah. Shout out Magic to, Castle. I know, it's so fun. Big shout out to my buddy, Loro, for crushing uh, his magic show. Uh, really highly recommend, uh, you know, seeing him anytime. Loro Castillo, uh, anytime that he's he's performing there. And um, yeah, got a new tattoo as well. <laughs> we just did a plethora. You did? Things. You didn't yeah. tell me that. I know, I didn't think about it. We did. We just, we crammed a lot in. What's your tattoo? Um, it's, a, it's just a little... Um, well, we're both Aries, so we both got um, a Me little, too. like, uh, yes, uh, a little elemental, or what do you call it? A um, little element fire sign. It's just a yeah. little tri- triangle on my on my ankle. Uh, real <gasps> oh, ba- I love- basic bitch tattoo, but we love it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Those oh, yeah. are so cute. Yeah. So, yeah, it was, yeah, great seeing Molly, and uh, we went to a beautiful dinner on the beach. We I took her to one of my favorite restaurants, Nick's on Beverly in West Hollywood, if you have a chance to go, you should. What else? Just walked around, drank tea, 
had good oh. food. It just was good. You know, it was a good visit for the healing. soul. Very healing. healing. And it's like what you said, it's like you could have that amazing time and then, you know, it's it feels like a great escape. And then it's kind of like back to this feeling of feeling kind of off, you know, yeah. Um so yeah, that was really lovely. And then, you know, I'm just, I'm at a place right now where I am trying to figure out how to give myself a break uh, from certain things, a break from my business, maybe uh, going away for a little bit. Um, I found uh, this really, have you heard about this platform workaway, uh-uh. workaway.com? Oh my God. It's like a cultural exchange exchange. Uh, platform. They've been around for like 20 years or something where you basically um, it's like for travelers, like if you want to travel somewhere, you would stay some with somebody for free and then they provide meals and you do a little bit of work like, you know, in their home or in on their farm or whatever. And so it's kind of like an exchange, but then you, it's a, it's a way that people are kind of like traveling for free or cheap. And then there's some paid opportunities there, but I'm like, oh my gosh. So I'm currently looking for just some things in my, my local community to where I could, I could go and like stay on like a, a homestead for a little bit. Um, you know, that kind of thing where I can learn about sustainable living and tiny homes and, and growing food. Cause it's something I've always had an interest in and I just didn't know something like that existed. So I am like really looking for kind of a, a change of pace in, in my life. So I'll, I'll keep y'all posted (laughs) on whatever that, whatever that ends up being. (laughs) We have an iTunes review of the episode. This is from Lex wheel. It says love and obsessed hashtag girls rule. (laughs) Listen for the first time. And I'm hooked. I love the girls and think they're hilarious and so relatable five stars all around. Lex, thank you so much for taking the time to do that. Uh, really appreciate that. Yeah. If you want to leave a review, it'll probably get read on like next episode. You know, yeah. um, try to get all to caught up. Fast. So, yeah, yeah, we get to them pretty fast. So, would love to, you know, see how you're feeling about uh, the show. And then also, I think this was a helpsters topic choice for grief. I'm not oh, really okay. sure. So, if you want to submit topics for that, that you know, get covered on the podcast. Um, if you want to submit quotes that get on the podcast, shout outs, recommendations, you can go to Patreon.com/slash/selfhelpless for that as well. And we'd yeah. love to have you over there. Yes. All right, guys. We hope you're doing well. If you're going through some shit, just please take good care of yourself. I'm mostly saying that for myself to hear as well. Yep. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, we love you guys. And we hope you're having an awesome week. And we'll talk to you soon. Yeah. Love you guys. Bye. Love you guys. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to the Self-Helpless Podcast. You can find our Patreon community, merch, and our individual work at selfhelplesspodcast.com. We'd be thrilled if you shared this episode with a friend, left an iTunes review, or feel free to post it on your Instagram and tag at selfhelplesspodcast. Thanks, guys. Maybe I'm self-helpless. Maybe I'm self-helpless. Maybe I'm self-helpless. Maybe we are all self-help.